Well, delighted that you're here, and uh, really that last song, Come Let Us Adore Him. I hope that is something that captures you uh, and invites you into a journey. And so uh, tonight we start a brand new Christmas series called Merry and Bright, and looking at the Christmas story in context of what it was back then. And I know for many of us, we've been around church for a long time. For many of you, you've been around the Christmas story for a while, and and it can lose some of its luster and some of its wonder just because of familiarity. Uh, and tonight, I would love for us to kind of go on a journey into Matthew chapter 2 uh, and looking back at this. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have the app, you can go to Sermon Notes and follow along uh, there. But just kind of go with us on a little bit of a journey of figuring out some things and what we can lean back into. Now, for some of you, you might be brand new uh, to church, maybe back into church. And we are thrilled that you are here. Um, and we just invite you to lean in to Christmas this year, to kind of journey with us, because this story, this Christmas story, is so much more than just a story that's been passed on. It's so much more than that. It has a grip and something that can grow, grab hold of our hearts and our lives and change us. It's a story that changed everything for everyone for all time, whether they know it or not, because it, it, it just changed all of history. And it changed all of your history, and it changed all of your future of what it can be and what it will be in and with Jesus. And so uh, as we kind of go on this journey, I, I hope that you're excited about Christmas. How many of you are kind of getting there excited about Christmas? How many of you just excited about Christmas all year long? Okay, okay that's some of us. Okay. Now, for others of us, uh, I, I, I'm honest, it was with the people we were praying with, that we were praying for you tonight, and I, I'm, I'm just now getting there of starting to get geared up and excited for the Christmas season. It takes me a little bit... Uh, uh, and there's so many different, how many of you feel like you're just overwhelmed with obligations of Christmas time, right? How many of you are not playing along and raising your hand? Perfect. Okay. Um, so this idea of obligations can be a little overwhelming uh, at times in the Christmas season, can kind of get us to some uh, struggling with some stuff. But uh, it's now this kind of time we have, uh, I loved watching uh, our girls decorate the Christmas tree. Like to me, that's one of the things that kind of gets me geared up going toward Christmas, seeing them do that. Uh, maybe you have some family traditions that you do around Christmas time. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Uh, you're going to turn to your neighborhood, the two, three people right around you, and uh, you're going to discuss for about 32 seconds. Okay, 33. Uh, 33 seconds. What are some family traditions around Christmas that you like that you guys kind of engage in? You got 33 seconds. Go. What's a family tradition around Christmas that you engage in that you like? All right, 10 seconds. Some of you have so many traditions, you could go on for hours on this. How many of you, a tradition at your house is baking? Like you just love to bake food, you know, bake wonderful desserts. I would like for you to raise your hand really high because I'm looking to see where I could come over. Okay, okay. Uh, how many of you, like uh, Winter Haven? Winter Haven's like a family tradition thing you guys do, okay. How many of you, uh, okay, decorating the tree, something like that, uh, decorating the house, putting the lights up, falling off ladders, that kind of thing. How many of you, how about uh, movies? 
How about movies, okay? Like Christmas movies, the family gathers around and watches some movies. That's one tradition I think a lot of people have. In fact, we're going to play a little bit of a game here. I'm going to put a slide up. You try to tell me what movie it is. So Christmas movies, maybe this is part of your tradition. First one, Hannah. Christmas vacation. Okay, so you got that one pretty easy. These are actually pretty easy. Okay, so here we go. Home Alone. Listen, has anyone gone on Christmas vacation and left your kid at home? Let's just think about this for a second. The whole premise of the movie, you don't want to raise your hand. I understand. Okay, we're not going to call anybody. Um, All right, next one. Elf. How many of you, this is your top Christmas movie? Oh, I don't know what to say. Okay. Um, Next, The Grinch. Maybe you like the traditional and the cartoon version. Good for you. Just means we were born older. (laughs) Okay, last one here. Christmas story. How many? This is your favorite. Maybe. Oh, I didn't put a wonderful life in here. Charlie Brown, Christmas. All that. there's tons of movies in here. But you know, someone I was talking to someone earlier. They have never seen this movie, and I thought, wow, that's a tragedy. Um, but Christmas story. Here's what I would love for you to do this season: is you, if this is a movie that you watch, um, you know what's interesting about this movie? Every single adult in this movie is pessimistic and bah humbug around Christmas. And yet every child is just filled with wonder of what Christmas can be. And that's really what I want to touch on tonight because I think this, this gift of wonder around Christmas is one of the gifts that we're meant to unwrap every season this comes around. And it's one of the ones that it's really easy to get lost kind of behind the tree. It's really easy to get kind of stuffed away because of all the obligations that come around this season. And we can miss the celebration of the wonder and the beauty of what the season's about. You know, the whole uh, idea of childlike wonder is important. In fact, Jesus had a lot to say about childlike wonder. Uh, You can look in Matthew chapter 19. This is where uh, some people were trying to bring the children uh, to Jesus to to have a priestly blessing. It would have been something very common in in a Jewish culture and context, a blessing over your kids. And yet the disciples are kind of shooing the people away because children in the first century didn't have value uh, because you didn't produce anything. And so you weren't valuable. Um, maybe as sons because you would keep the family name going, but really in and of yourself, you didn't produce something. So therefore your value was limited. And so uh, this idea of a kid-centric world was not part of the first century world. And maybe more so in our century, in our time, but just so devalued in a way. And yet here's what Jesus says to the disciples. Hey, 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 don't shoot them away. The kingdom of God belongs to ones like these. And he brings them in and he blesses the children. And that, you know, later on in uh, some of the gospel messages of Jesus conversing with his disciples, he's talking about having a childlike faith, which is vastly different than a childish faith. I've seen people with that. That's not what we're going for. But a childlike faith, this idea that I need dependence upon God and upon who he is and what he can do in our lives, that Jesus, all over the scriptures and all over the scriptures, the whole, this idea of childlike faith and dependency upon God matters and it motivates and it's meant to be something that builds our wonder. And just let's be real, the older we get, it's really easy to lose the wonder. It's really easy 
to begin to become less astonished at, at the wonder around us, the gifts that you've been given and the people that surround you, the gifts and the opportunities and the privileges that you've been granted. It's easy to, to let all the, the struggles and all the challenges kind of take center stage, and, and they become the bright lights, so to speak, and, and the wonder side kind of fades a little bit. The Bible calls us all the time to see each day as a gift from him. How many of you open gifts like, re, like you almost would recycle tape how slow you open your Christmas gifts? Anyone? Some of you are looking at the people next to you. Okay. Uh, how many of you open gifts like a child? Yeah, you just rip them open, right? They don't care about recycling paper, recycling bows. We'll go to the store next year, right? And, and I think so often we can become so structured in a way that we almost lose the wonder of each day being a gift. That I, I think the Bible and I think Christ would say to us, open each day as a gift. I'm reminded of James 4.14 that says this, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. What if we approached each day a little bit more with a sense of wonder? That, hey, I get to live today. I don't have to live. I get to. And it's that whole get to mentality and that idea of staying focused on this day. See, today is a gift, not because it's perfect. How many of you have a perfect life? Raise your hand. Yeah, <laughs> no one's playing along. Because none of us have a perfect life and a perfect scenarios and perfect circumstances all around us. The Christmas season is a gift, not because it's a perfect season but because it introduces us again to the wonder of the one who is perfect. The one who didn't say, okay, you find a way to get to me, but he introduced himself into history beyond just the creation of what it was, but to say, I'm here to make a way that you might make your way to me through faith and not by works. For us to grow in the wonder of God, things don't have to be completely wonderful. And that shouldn't be a sigh of relief. That for us to grow in the wonder of God, things don't have to be perfectly wonderful around us. Because what we understand from the Christmas story is that this whole beginning of the story, Lyle alluded to it, 400 years of silence before the birth of Christ and him interjecting himself into history so that he can interject himself into your history, into your life, into my life. And so in Matthew chapter 2, I just want to kind of walk us through a little bit of this story for the idea of what would it be like this season to begin to ask God to grow your wonder of, of him and all that he's done and all that he is doing in your life. And so Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is this one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star, and it rose, and we have come to worship him. The word worship in Greek is literally this idea of to, to give reverence to, to bow down before, to elevate that one and de-elevate ourselves. So Magi from the east, okay, we know, okay, we three kings of Orient. Are. Okay, I thought you'd play along. But uh, so this idea, we know the story, we know the song a little bit with this. Well, I don't know if it's three. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know all the specific details of this, but here's what I do know. 
some magi who are studying. This is from Persia. So they've traveled hundreds of miles to get to Jerusalem. And the reason they go to Jerusalem, because that's where the king is, it's King Herod. Now, what's awesome about how this story starts is it's crazy. Because magi show up in King Herod's palace and say, hey, where's the one born king of the Jews? We are here to worship him. Now, if you don't know anything about Herod, let me sum up Herod for you. He is super rich, he is super powerful, and he is paranoid crazy guy. Okay? So, let me just paint a picture for you. The story of Christmas begins with people showing up saying, we know the king of the Jews has been born because they've studied the Old Testament scriptures that are pointing to where this is going to be. King Herod is Jewish. Like, he has Jewish roots. He understands the people, but he doesn't understand the scriptures. And so this little interchange happens as he calls in the religious leaders of the day, and they find out, okay, well, the, the, whole, um, the whole thing is supposed to go down and happen in Bethlehem, and this is where it's supposed to be. And so when, when you hear king of the Jews, we instantly think of Jesus. But there was one who had that title, and it wasn't Jesus at the time. Do you know who had the title? Take a wild guess. Herod. So when someone shows up and says, show me where the king of the Jews is, and you're a paranoid crazy guy with ultimate power, what is your first thought? Hey, who's trying to take my kingship? Whoa, whoa. And so Herod begins to go through this whole scenario and understand, okay, there's something else going on here. And uh, we kind of go on to verse 3. Here's what it says. Where King Herod heard this news, he was disturbed, and the little comma, and all of Jerusalem with him. That's major. Don't miss that. When the king, who has ultimate power and ultimate control, and is paranoid and crazy... When he's disturbed, the whole city gets disturbed. So everything is going crazy at this point. See, we see it in a sentence, but you have to understand what it would have been like to be there. Herod uh, is a guy who had about a 40-year run of power before Jesus was born. And, and he did a lot. In fact, uh, he taxed the people uh, tremendously. There was... Uh, major concern for starvation a few points in his reign where he had to kind of willingly give up some things so people didn't just die. Uh, he had major control of what was going on. He invested in major building projects. In fact, if you go to the Western Wall today, the Temple Mount, that was Herod. Okay, What you're touching, what you're seeing is built by King Herod. Okay, and his whole crew that's still there today. I remember taking a tour a few years ago. And we were there and we're walking underneath the city and they take us to the stone that's like this cornerstone of what the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount, you have to understand, it's built on top of a mountain. So it's kind of like a table um, that's giant, that's just 90 feet tall and it's the whole way around and it's where the temple would have sat on the top. Okay, and so the Temple Mount, this wall, they show us one stone that's bigger than a 737. Think about how they moved that before Caterpillar. I mean, just think about the logistics of what that would have been to actually move that one stone, let alone the thousands of stones that make up the whole Temple Mount. You just Google tonight, Google the Temple Mount and just look at it and realize that's one building project. 
that he had. Masada was another one, was a retreat down by the Dead Sea that was up on top of uh, this mountain, this retreat center that really had no way up to it except one little path. And he built all of these hot tub springs and all that kind of stuff and figured out how to get water up there. Like his building projects alone are just insane what they did back in that time. Not just time now would be massive, but back then, massive. And so he's got all these things going on, and yet he's paranoid about losing power, so much so that he kills his own mother because she threatened to take power or hinted at the fact. He had three of his four sons killed. He had people, Josephus tells us in history, that uh, he had the Jewish elite arrested right before he was killed, right before he died. He was dying of a horrible disease, and he had them put in prison and and was told, you're to kill them when I die, because I want tears flowing in this city. Because no one gives a rip about him, because he's paranoid, and he's creep, and he's weird, okay? And what's going on? Just do a little bit of history research on Herod, and you'll understand. You begin to see the craziness of the scenario, and yet how much he had stabilized things in that region, and this insecurity that was a part of him. So when people show up to say, "Where's uh, born the King of the Jews? We've come to worship him," that sets off a chain reaction of things in Herod's world. And so you read on in the story, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the exact time, so they figured out where this was. He sent them to Bethlehem and said to them, go and search carefully for this child, and as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I may go and worship him also. Do you think that's legit? No, not at all. Because in a few moments, you're going to see something that you never see in a Christmas child's pageant. The reality of what happened and what occurred as the story is taking place. Bethlehem is about six miles from Jerusalem. So it's not that long a walk. In fact, there's really only one way to get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem that at this time. And so... The Magi take off. They see the star. Uh, It goes on. We saw the star, and they were overjoyed. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, bowed down, worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country through another route, which would have been a challenging route because there's no easy way to get out of Bethlehem somewhere else. It usually always flowed back up to Jerusalem. So they give him some gifts, and there's significance in the gifts. I won't have time to unpack all of that, but just quickly, the idea of gold, well, that's a gift for a king. You give gold to a king, and we know Jesus to be the king of kings. Frankincense, so it's a gift for a priest, and we know Jesus to be the great high priest for us forever. Myrrh, well, that's an interesting one, because that's really a gift for death. It's an embalming uh, material that they would have used back then, knowing and even leaning into the reality of what Jesus was going to do as he gave his life for you and for me, the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that would be for the forgiveness of your sins and of mine. So the Magi are warned. They don't go back. They take a different way. Uh, Herod finds out that he's been outwitted. And then something that transpires. Again, 
Herod, if you study him in history, just horrendous act of after another, uh, as you understand how he's wired. A young but popular uh, competitor uh, who was going up to be uh, a high priest had a drowning accident in a two-foot tub. Okay, how does that happen? Well, Herod ordered it. It's just the way he dealt with things. He killed off some of his sons. He had his own wife strangled. It's just because they threatened power for him. Uh, There was a saying about Herod that it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than his own son. Just tremendous uh, power and tremendous paranoia that drove this man. And so now we read in verse 16 this backdrop of the story. Here's what it says. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or younger, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then it was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, a voice heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. We don't typically see that in a children's Christmas pageant. But that's the reality of what played out. Some historians will will argue, well, maybe that's not true because Josephus doesn't write about it. But the reality is Bethlehem had been about 1,000 people in population. And about that time, what would have been maybe 20 to 30 kids that were two years old or younger, it doesn't really count as a massive massacre as would have been in other wars. And so maybe it doesn't get written about, but in the Bible we're learning, okay, this is what transpired when a paranoia person with power is confronted with the reality of something else that's going on around them that they don't know. See, friends, when Jesus was born, all was not merry and bright. Christmas is a gift, not because it's trouble-free, but because God's introducing a new reality in the midst of the brokenness of what the world was living. And God loves to introduce new realities into the brokenness of your world and my world even today, to our situations, to understand that, okay, none of us raised our hand that we're perfect, and none of us have a perfect scenario going on, and we can get struck and stuck with this idea of how do I keep going forward in the midst of the brokenness and the challenges that I'm facing? And I'm here to tell you, don't quit. Don't give up. Because God's at work. That's what we can learn from the wonder of Christmas. That he is always at work behind the scenes, always moving. Jesus came to the midst of our mess, and he is able to enter into the mess with us. He is Emmanuel. He is with us. He's not set apart from your mess. He's willing to be in the mess with you. The good, the bad, the ugly. And he's willing to be there. It's familiar territory for him. He doesn't run from it. In fact, what we see in the scriptures is that God loves to run to you in the midst of it and to show you that there is hope and that there is help. He loves to come alongside and to bring something that maybe could be merry and bright into the darkness of your story and of mine. Christmas is God's promise that broken things can be made beautiful again, that God can be at work in the midst of it. The good news of Christmas is not just for people who have a perfect life. In fact, there is none, so that's awesome news. That Jesus came into the brokenness of this world filled with broken people, and he doesn't turn away. He came to introduce and to re-engage the fact that we can live with the wonder, even when things aren't wonderful around us, and that he can meet us there. 
we remember Christmas to be this amazing truth that in the midst of the not so wonderful that surrounds maybe you, in steps the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. The very first song you sang tonight, as you were here, he shall reign forevermore. The first few words, can I just read them again to you? You sang them. In the bleak midwinter, all creation groans. For a world in darkness, frozen as stone, light is breaking in a manger that is a throne. That's what we remember at Christmas. That's what we re-anchor ourselves to. That may the wonder of Christmas recapture your heart and soul again in a fresh way this season. No matter what unwonderful things or what darkness may surround you. Here's one of the, the takeaways that I put from me as I was working through this is this. I want to intentionally and creatively make the celebration of Christmas greater than the obligations of Christmas this year. I don't want the obligations that I have, we all have them, of Christmas. I don't want that to drown out the celebration and the wonder of what Christmas means and what it means to me and what it means to my scenarios and to my situation and what it means to you and to your scenarios and your situations. Despite all the hustle and bustle around us, let your focus continually come back to the wonder of a savior born for you. God could have created a different plan. He could have sent us a note and said, this is the way you gotta figure it out on your own, good luck. But he didn't. He sent us a savior to enter into our mess and in his perfection and through his life and then ultimately through his death and his resurrection, pave a way for us to have life with God May that never grow old for you. Don't let the hustle and bustle, don't let the obligations of this season, don't let the, the things that can gnaw on us drown out the wonder of what's all around you. And so maybe it's going to be intentionally and creatively doing this. Here's a list of things. I don't know what it looks like for you, but if we take a moment to kind of figure out, okay, what could this look like? How do I begin to grow that wonder in my life? Um, you know, maybe it's going to be having some intentional times with your Bible sitting by the Christmas tree. For me, this is one that I do and I love. I, everybody else goes to bed, I'll stay up, I'll sit by the tree and I'll open up to Matthew chapter two. I'll read through the Christmas story, just sitting in the light of the Christmas tree and allow my mind and my heart to be re recaptured again, to be re-engaged with the beauty and the wonder of the season. Because that's when I'm quiet, that's when I'm still. I, I don't have a list going off in my head of all the things I've gotta go do. It's just some me time. And maybe you need to create some of that. Maybe it's for some of you, it's starting a Bible reading plan. Maybe you've, you don't have a Bible reading plan. You're not engaged in that. Well, maybe, you know, there's some great Advent reading plans on version. Maybe it's for you, it's, it's gonna, I'm gonna take 10 minutes and I'm gonna engage in one. Uh, maybe this is a prayer walk. You know, for some of you, you like just kind of going on a walk. Maybe it's just going at dusk and you're going to take a walk and you're going to make this just a moment of prayer that, hey, I'm going to take a 15-minute walk, just me and God, and I'm going to pray through because I want to be captured again by the wonder of this season. Maybe for some of you, it's journaling early in the morning with a cup of coffee. That's your best friend in the morning. And you're going to pull up your best friend, a cup of coffee, and you're just going to look through the Christmas story and journal, just going to look back over this whole year of how God's been active in your life. 
Maybe it's once a day learning to say, how can I intentionally serve someone else so that it's not just about me? And so maybe every day you're going to say between now and Christmas, I'm going to look to serve one other person at my workplace. In the, in the, as I'm going throughout my day, as I see someone, I'm just going to be intentional about that because I can do something wonderful for someone else and that will help grow my wonder of this season. So intentionally and creatively, make it a point to make the celebration of Christmas greater than the obligations of Christmas. I just want to invite you that's the whole takeaway tonight. How can you grow wonder and re-engage in the wonder of who God is? Allow the Christmas story to grow your astonishment, not because everything is perfect and everything is wonderful, but because every day is a gift from God. God's wonder can refresh us even when things aren't wonderful around us or in the scenarios that you're facing. And so as we move toward a time of communion, I'm just gonna invite you to say, God, I want this season to be filled with wonder. I want to grow my wonder capacity. I don't want to just blaze through the next 20 days and just miss something. Because that's the beauty of what the season, it's the invitation for us to engage again in the story that there is a Savior who came for you and came for me. That we might know God and be able to to grow as a disciple following him and invite others to be a part of that process as well. And so whatever that may look like for you, maybe you're going to take a minute. I'm going to be quiet here and just give you 60 seconds to think about, okay, what's one thing that I can engage in to grow my wonder this season? So I invite you to take 60 seconds and just ask God, what's one thing that I can practically do day in, day out to engage my wonder of the season to open myself up to that. And then I'll pray for us. Father, we, we just pause. For many of us, uh, we don't do that very well. So the idea of stillness, silence, is maybe even a little scary. Father, we want to be a people who engage and grow our wonder. Being in awe of who you are and all of who you are captivated again by your beauty, by your majesty, by the wonder of the fact that you're the creator of all things and you want to be in relationship with us. For many of us, we've been in relationship with you for a while and maybe that's grown stale. Maybe that's just kind of become stagnant. We pray that this season would reignite and re-engage our hearts to the beauty and the wonder of you. Would you grow our wonder? Father, for any who are here, who have never come to that place to, to even begin a relationship with you. I pray this season would be the season they would say yes to Jesus. 
maybe even still with their questions and doubts, but they would just begin to aim their life in the direction of following after you because you're a God who didn't stand far away and shouted, but you're a God who came into our midst and you spoke clearly and you whispered and you said to follow you. As we come to a time of communion, we remember that you were born in a manger, but you didn't stay there. You grew up as one to embrace the cross so that we wouldn't have to. You gave your life so that we could find life in and through you, so that you and I can seize each day as a gift from you. You're the greatest gift ever given. Jesus, it's you. And so we embrace you this season. As we take this bread and drink this juice, remember your body broken, your blood shed on our behalf that we could find forgiveness of sins, not based on what we do or try to produce or try to maintain or how good we can be, but because you're the perfect gift, the acceptable sacrifice on our behalf. And as we sing this final song, I pray that you would capture our hearts anew and afresh. God, don't ever let Christmas become stale. Would you grow our wonder that things can be seen, that merry and bright can be felt and sensed, even when things aren't totally wonderful all around us. We could still grow and be embraced by the wonder of you. And so would you meet us in these moments to come? Or would you stir our hearts and allow us to worship you, to be captivated again by your wonder. Expand that in us this season, we pray.